I'm going to give you my testimony, okay? Um, how many of you heard of Promise Keepers before? Just raise your hand. Okay, so Promise Keepers, uh, back in the 1990s, Bill McCartney uh, started Promise Keepers. Um, that was a Christ-centered organization. It was dedicated to influencing men to be better fathers and husbands and dads. And so this swept our nation um, back in the 1990s. And I was born and raised a Catholic um, in the Catholic faith. I was the altar boy, Eucharistic minister. And some of us, I'm sure here, have some background being, being that, in that Catholic faith. So um, my father was involved with what they called in the Catholic faith the spiritual renewal services. And they had gone to some men's conferences. So I decided, I kept kind of saying, yeah, I'm busy, I'm busy. And then finally, I decided to go with him to this one in Rhode Island, put on by the Men of Hope. So the Men of Hope came out of Promise Keepers, because Promise Keepers were, were doing conferences of 40, 50, 60,000 men in a coliseum. So I went to the small one of a couple hundred people, and the, the, the preacher was up there, and I kind of knew what was going to happen. I'm going to hear some music and hear the message. But that day was a different day for me. So that day in 1997, I was overwhelmed by the message. I went up, and I, uh, they did an altar call. And for those of you who don't know, altar call is an invitation to come up front um, and, and confess your sins to God and, and you know, accept them into your life. And that's what I did. Now, I, I was already, what I thought, practicing religion, but I didn't have a relationship. So that was the change for me, because at that point, on that ride home, I realized something's different. There's a desire in me that changed. I didn't want to go do the things that I was doing, because I made, I made this profession, and something overcame me. So I, in 1997, later that year, uh, Promise Keepers did this march on the mall. They called it the Stand in the Gap, and over 750,000 men. They don't have an exact number, but it was quite a few guys. We went up there, my father and I. The funny story is my brother said he wasn't going to go. And it's only my brother and I and our family. But on the day of, he decided to go, jumped on a bus with a church he didn't even know, and we ran into him in Washington, D.C. Oh, with 750,000 men there. So this, this was overwhelming because men were praying on their knees. Praying so God can do amazing, amazing things. So in today's scripture, I want to look at the testimony concerning the Son of God. So the Webster Dictionary says it like this, a solemn declaration usually made orally by a witness under oath in response to interrogation by a lawyer or authorized public official. That's what they define as testimony. The second definition is an outward sign, an open acknowledgement, a public profession of religion experience. So I'd like to read our text today. Um, if you turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, 513, we've been Josh has been doing a great series on 1 John, so we're going to pick up here. Who is, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. 
He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe, who does not believe God, has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given him about his Son. And this is the testimony. You ready? God has given us eternal life and that this is the life in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Finally, in his concluding, he writes, I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God so that you may know, or you may have, excuse me, eternal life. Here's the good news. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you already have the faith to conquer the world. That faith saved you. That gave you a positional spiritual victory at conversion, and it will continue to give a victory through what you do going forward. Why? Because that faith that acts, the faith that loves your neighbor, that's the same faith that you have in Jesus. So let me ask you this. Do you believe God? Do you believe his word? John tells his readers here that Jesus Christ came by water and blood and the Spirit validates, verse 6. These three witnesses testify together. They give an account. They bear witness. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. I like the King James Version and for verse 7 it says, For these three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, these three are one. See, the water refers to Christ's baptism when the Father himself praised the Son. If you remember that picture we see in, in the children's books where Jesus is coming out of the water and John is there and the, Holy, the dove is above him. Well, that's a sign. And we see that in Matthew three sixteen and 17. Second, the blood refers to Christ's sacrificial death on the cross when the darkness covered the land, the temple veil split in two, the earth shook, the tombs broke open. This floored me when I look at this verse, and um, I'm going to pull it up in my ESV version. So uh, Matthew chapter 27, verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. This was the curtain that separated the holy from holies. From the top to the bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and the tombs were also open. The tombs were open. Okay? Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Hey, that's The Walking Dead. All right? Anybody watch that show? I don't. <laughs> but I heard about it. And the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. That's a testimony, right? They were, there was a lot going on right there just from, the, from Jesus Christ shedding his blood. 
So in these events, God gave testimony to the truthfulness of his son and his mission. The third witness is the spirit. He validates on the inside what God does on the outside. In John 15, verses 26 and 27, it says, The spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Jesus told his disciples, you must also testify. There's that word again. Because you've been with me from the beginning. The basic principle of God's word is that a matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. In 2 Corinthians 13, 1, it says, every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. How often... Do we accept what somebody says to be true? We hear things on the, on the news all the time. We run into people. Do we ever challenge what they say? Do we, we check against two or three witnesses? The tragic truth is that in spite of this threefold testimony that God has provided, too many believe man rather than God. That's equivalent to calling God a liar. His testimony in verse 9 says, is greater than man's. When I was following a religion, there were things or works I felt I needed to do to get right with God. I had to do this. I had to go to church on Sunday. Going to church does not get you to heaven. There's nothing that I can do to earn my way to heaven. That was an aha moment for me. Now, I do this, what I do, I do what I do because I want to do to serve the Lord. It's not because I have to. I don't have a law. The law brings us to conviction. So the Ten Commandments tell us what's wrong. We can't keep the Ten Commandments. It's a guideline to show us that we, we cannot keep them. We lie, we cheat, we steal. There's nothing that's good in us. The Bible says there's no one good, not one, in Romans. So, how are we saved? We're saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2.8. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Before I accepted what I did, I was counting on what I was doing to be right with God. And the Bible says there's no one good, not one. So, what does God want you to believe? Well, it says in verse 7, God has given us eternal life. In John's gospel, Jesus defined eternal life this way. I'm sorry, verse 11. That you may know the only true God, the one you have sent. In John 17, 3. And that's Jesus Christ. See, eternal life is the knowledge of God. You receive this at the moment of salvation. But that's just the beginning. You must grow in your knowledge and understanding. As sure as an infant must progress from milk to solid foods, you have to grow in your faith, in your walk with the Lord. Your knowledge of him. See, he wants us to deepen that experience with him. 
that experience of eternal life. To do that, you must have intimacy with God. Intimidating words sometimes. Intimacy, what does that mean? Well, John is considered the apostle of intimacy. In verse 11 and 12, he says, the one who has the son has life. You must have intimacy with the son because this life is in the son. So how important is the assurance of your salvation? John wants those who have trusted in the son of God for salvation from sin to know that they do have eternal life. Assurance is part of the essence of our saving faith. If eternal, life, if eternal life can be lost, then it's not eternal life. God wants you to know that you have eternal life, not based on your fluctuating faith, but based on the object of your faith, Jesus Christ. See, eternal life does not merely refer to an existence that lasts forever. After all, everyone will live eternally either in heaven or hell. To receive eternal life, then, is to enter into divine realm with the goal of experiencing an intimate relationship with God through Jesus, a relationship that will grow throughout eternity. Tony Evans, one of the preachers I listen to often, says that the essence of heaven is an uninterrupted deepening knowledge and experience of God. This is the purpose why we were created. The Apostle John is, again, considered the apostle of intimacy, and he's very concerned with our fellowship, that is, our closeness to the Lord. His epistles form a trilogy of intimacy. He speaks of obedience, walking with God in righteousness, submission to the truth, and functioning together in love as being key elements of intimacy with God. So if you have a close friend or maybe your spouses, those who are married have spouses or best friends, you, you get intimate with them. But intimacy is not just sexual. Intimacy is building this close relationship. So you have to think about how do, I, how do I become more intimate with God? So we're here on Sunday. We come to church. We praise him. We worship him. We go into his word. If you want to know God, if you really want to know God, it's right here. It's right here. He's given it to us in his finger, at our fingertips. Whether it's an app, Bible app, or a, a version of the Bible, you have the word of truth. And this, this is our compass. This is what, as believers, we need to be looking at. Everything that we hear and see should go through this. This is our filter. This is what's going to tell us if it's true or not. That Holy Spirit, that if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit in you. He reveals the truth. Isn't it interesting that you, for those of you who have read the Bible, read scriptures before, you can read that same scripture two years from now, and it brings a whole different meaning to you, right? Like, how come I didn't see that before? Because he didn't reveal it to you then. 
Now you're in a different position. You're in a different phase of your walk and your maturity with him. Now he's revealing something different to you. This has been personally the most changing thing in my life. The more that I can commit and give to him, the more that he allows me to see. I, ex- I express that so passionately because I want you to have that relationship. And I, God, I have such a long ways to go, but it's so beautiful to have that every single day. His word at our fingertips, whether you're hearing it, you're listening to it. We, we have the technology today to hear it all the time, whether it's in the car or a podcast, because um, we're in a culture that is contradictory to that. So they want you to see things the, the worldly way. So as believers, are we really ready to give a profession of our faith? So I'm going to wrap this up with this question. What is your testimony? If you are a believer here today, there was a point in time that you made a decision. It might have been when you were five years old at the side of your bed. It could have been a prayer you said in your bedroom. You might even had an outward sign, a testament to that faith by getting baptized. So here's the hard question that I've been reading over and over again is, how is my relationship with God? Am I growing in knowledge and experience of God? Am I in his word on a daily basis? If I truly believe that his word is living and active, living and active, that it judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart, how am I using it? Am I speaking God's word into my circumstances rather than speaking my circumstances into God's word? Steve Brown is, uh, runs Key Life Ministries. He's heard this yesterday on the radio. He has a, a, a website you can go to called youthinkaboutthat.com. And he said, in this strip club in Miami, one of the strippers was murdered by her husband. A group of elderly Christian ladies heard this in the church up the street, and they wanted to help. So they got together and they prayed. And they felt convicted to go to the strip club. So they went to the strip club. They brought flowers, put them on the bar, and said, we heard about the woman, and we prayed about it, and we want you to know that we're right up the street, and if you need anything, you you let us know to the staff. Well, a few weeks went by, and it happened to be around Easter, and Easter morning, all them strippers were in church. Isn't that amazing that, you know, God put something on your heart, and we have a choice. We can say, yeah, well, that's just fluff. I, I, can't, I don't have the time for that. I can't do that right now. I share the example because we have opportunities every single day of our life to help, to pray, to, to impact people for the word, for the gospel. All these women did was pray, and they went and said genuinely, 
I'm sorry. They didn't even know the people. Put the flowers on there. And they, they gave a testimony. It opened a door. It said we care. We live in a world that just seems like it doesn't care anymore. This, where's the love? Everywhere, everything you look at or turn around, it seems like there's someone else being murdered or some tragedy that's happening. There's a lot of opportunities for us. So if you're a believer, I'd ask you, where are you what are you doing with that, with your faith? How are you applying it? Are you serving? Are you here? Are you, are you participating? If you were to stand in the court of law and they... Would you be found guilty as a if you would you be found guilty as a Christian? If you were being judged for being a Christian, would you be found guilty? If you're here today and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can do so right now. You could say this prayer and you can say it in your own words. Lord, I'm sorry. For the sins that I've committed against you. I believe in what you did by sending your son to die for me. And I accept what you did for me. And I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Forgive me for my sins and help me going forward, Lord. Bring me closer to you. In Acts 16, 31, it says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's God's word. In Romans 10, 9, it says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you have this opportunity, and if it's not now, it could be later. But I pray that you would consider, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, what he can do for you. If you have, what is your testimony? How, how are we using our testimony to be an example to others? Vince, you want to come up and I'll close us. Lord, it's been a great opportunity to, to share your word. I thank you for the conviction to put in my own heart. Lord, I pray that as we go forward as a ministry, not only to the community, but the people that we serve, that we would be drawn closer to you and your word. It's truth. It, it shows us what we need to do, Lord. May we lean in on you, love others, be examples to those around us, Lord. Pray for the leadership of this country and for the church that we would not lose our focus on you and what we're here to do. And that's be a servant to love and share what you've done for us, Lord. Lord, thank you so much for the people that are here today. I pray for their families, those that couldn't make it, those who are sick, those who are hurting. Lord, how can we reach out to them? Maybe it's a card. Maybe it's a phone call. Lord, you're so good to us. I thank you for all that you do and continue to do in our lives. These things I pray in Jesus' name.